Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. I am Todd Hagopian, and we have one of my favorite people in the liberty movement today, Dan, taxation and staff. Dan, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm one of Todd Hagopian's favorite people, um, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, no, I'm Dan, taxation and staff, Berman. Um, I changed my middle name, but not by begging government for permission because free men don't ask for permission. Um, I changed my name by declaration because this is, uh, as I've come to learn what the government is really all about, I've seen that this is really the biggest issue that affects all the rest of them. And this is kind of like the linchpin that everything else hangs on. So anything you hate about government, I can trace it right back to taxes. Um, but, uh, I, I've kind of become a political activist. Um, I'm running for governor of Texas in 2022. I ran for president in 2020, and um, I'm really just out here trying to trying to save the world from evil people. Very good, very good. <laughs> and we're definitely going to talk about a little bit about the 2020 run, a lot about the 2022 run. Um, but I will start with uh, I think it was back in 2019. You and I talked for the first time. It was on the phone, and I called you up, and I was calling each of the presidential candidates and having conversations with them, trying to figure out who to back. And I remember thinking. This guy uh, wears a big hat that says taxation is theft. He's got a middle name that says taxation is theft. This has one trick pony all over it. You know what I mean? And I called you and I think we talked for over an hour about like every single issue. <laughs> and, and I was shocked um, because one of the things I liked about your presidential campaign is you literally laid out your views on every issue. Uh, whereas other people were just kind of, you know, here's my three planks. You you kind of talked about everything and, and put it out there. And I really liked the fact that you had libertarianism just front and center in your campaign. So thank you for that. But let's start before we touch on that. Let's talk about uh, your path to liberty and just kind of what brought you from where you started to where you are now. Sure. Um, I think... Um... Uh, man, this is always a different, difficult question to answer just because it's, it's such a long story and there's so many things that happen along the way. Um, and I know you want like a one minute answer. Um, <laughs> but you know, basically, you know, I, I guess I kind of grew up with like the fantasy of we live in a free country. And then when I actually tried to exercise any of my freedom, somebody from the government was just there, like, you know, with like, you know, with a baton, like ready to just like, yeah, yeah, no, you can't do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and when I was a kid, it was like, it was like, oh yeah, well, you're going to have, you have to go to school. You have to study these things that you don't like. And, and that was just like, oh, okay, fine. And then, then it started becoming like, oh, you, you're not allowed to get a job until you have a work permit because you're a minor. And then it turned into, you have to pay taxes. Um, all this money you're working so hard for, you have to give it all over to the government. And like, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, and at one point I was just like, I was just like, this, this isn't right. Like, this is like, I get it, you know, going back a little bit, like I, I used to get it where like, 
okay, yeah, we would we would pay, you know, a little bit of money to to have a government that has police to protect us and all this other stuff. And like there's services that the government provides. But then I just started seeing how corrupt and evil that was. Um, you know, how how tainted this whole system became. And and it's like I was like, we we have to we like this isn't a civilized society. This is like mob rule. Um and you know i've been spending a lot of time in mexico and and it makes it even more apparent like mexico it's like yeah you have police who realize they have a little bit of power and they become corrupt but it's like in the us it's like and we in the us like we talk about how corrupt the mexican police are but it's like the us police is so corrupt that the individual police are not corrupt it's the entire system so that when a, when a police officer robs you He's just following orders. That is the law. He's like, that is the system. It's not just some officer trying to make an extra few bucks. Um, and it's like, it's like everyone has kind of come to accept that as like, that's what's normal. And it's like, no, um, it's not. We're being, we're being robbed. We're being taken for everything that we have. We're put into a system where everybody lives in debt. Nobody owns their home. They're perpetually in debt to the government, to the banks, uh, to pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, this system was created to to just keep us on a hamster wheel, powering <clears throat> powering the wealthy elites' biggest dreams, um, and uh, and they they've used the government to make that happen, and and you know, this is the system that we're in now. And what's I think really difficult about this is people don't want to do anything about it until they see it and it takes a lot for them to see it because when when especially when that system is helping them out it's benefiting them it's it's not you know it's not harming them in the way that it was harming me um they, they just there's no reason for them to see it so what i've kind of um been trying to figure out is okay how do we make it where it is to their benefit to see it and that's that's kind of what i've been working on very cool very good. No, it's exciting. Talk a little bit about the 2020 election, um, how you got into it, uh, what your expectations were, what went really well, what went really wrong, and then how it all wrapped up for you. Yeah, um, I, I had an awesome time, first of all. I mean, it was really fun um, traveling around. I got to talk to people like you um, who, you know, for some reason, I just you know, that, that wasn't a thing. Like, uh, you know, I got to engage in some really awesome conversations, whereas before, you know, most of my conversations were more related to, to just what I did with work and daily social life, that sort of thing. Um, so I thought that was really great. I think I grew a lot, um, because people were coming to me with all kinds of issues, um, that, you know, I had to figure out answers to, um, which, which is fun because I'm a problem solver. So I like listening to the problems and trying to figure out, you know, how do we solve this problem without using force or stealing money and that sort of thing. Um, what I thought was, you know, I, I kind of did this as an experiment. I mean, I did it with the big yellow hat. I knew people were like sitting there laughing at me. Oh, this guy's a joke. He's a clown. Um, but one of the things that I did um, that... Uh, it's kind of difficult to explain because I, I think um, like I've had issues with the Libertarian Party and disagreements on how they do things to try to create real change in the world because ultimately that's that's what we're all after is, is real change. Um, and one of the things 
that I really disagree with about the Libertarian Party is when we have our primaries, we're not the Republicans, right? The Republicans can spend a billion dollars. They spent literally, no, the Democrats spent literally a billion dollars on one candidate who didn't even win a primary. Um, they can they can waste all that money. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because when they finally pick their candidate, they've got another $10 billion to, to you know run the general election. Libertarians don't have that. And so every single dollar that we spend should not be focused um, inside of the party it shouldn't be libertarians, you know, trying to run around to other libertarians and say, oh, I'm more libertarian than the other guy. It should be, let's use this opportunity to reach outside of the party, break through the echo chamber, find all these new people and introduce them. All these people who are suffering through, oh my God, I hate all, I'm a Democrat and I'm always going to vote Democrat, but, but I hate all of these candidates. Like Bernie Sanders is okay, but it looks like he's going to get screwed out of it again. What am I going to do? Let's go to those people and let's talk to them about, you know, hey, there are other options and let's, and, and there's, you know, other than outside of Medicare for all, there's other options to solve these problems. Um, and that's where I really spent a lot of the, the attention of my campaign. And I know a lot of libertarians look at my campaign and they're like, oh, you're a total failure. You didn't even get enough tokens to get into the, the final debate um, at, the, at the national convention. And I look at that and I'm like, I don't care. That that means nothing to me, um, because at the end of the day, I kind of know, you know, that the, the Libertarian Party it's flawed. It works in some ways. It works just like the other major parties. They elected um, Joe Jorgensen, who you know she's like a party favorite. She's got a history with the party and all this stuff. Um, and it's like, and, and I kind of knew what was going to happen. They're they're going to pick her. Um, and it's not going to be a massively spectacular campaign. It's going to be the same, you know, kind of boring thing as it has been in the past. And that's not to say she didn't reach a lot of people. Um, you know, she, she did a good job. She got a lot of votes. But it's like we're, we're trying to play it safe. We're trying to um, – Spike did an awesome job reaching outside of the, the echo chamber. Um, but it's like, you know, in, in my opinion – and, and what I'm what I'm really working to prove is that we can reach more people if we stop focusing on, you know, the libertarian message of selling freedom and start focusing on the message of finding what people's problems are and solving those problems. And, and you know, stop because I mean, you know, that's kind of selfish to run around and say, oh, yeah, you guys should become libertarians then it's like, oh, you just want us to join your club and finance your campaigns and, and never win elections. And it's like, no, let's show them that we actually care about their problems and want to solve them. And that's where people start like opening their minds to, to what we're about and like, okay, let's hear it. What's the solution? And, and that's where we get that real culture shift and that change. And that's what I really liked about your campaign and uh, and that first conversation we had. And because I had other, and I think I've told you throughout the campaign, like you were in my top three, you know, pretty consistently throughout the campaign and people would ask me, you know, what I thought and, you know, yellow hat and this and that. And I'm like, you clearly haven't talked to him because if you've talked to him, you know what I mean? Then you'd know that he has solutions to every issue and they might be, you might disagree with them. I think you and I had a pretty spirited um, IP discussion in the healthcare uh, section and then we had a pretty spirited um, can the Fed really declare bankruptcy discussion you know what I mean and, and we disagreed on those things but it was a really interesting conversation where 
I made you think, you made me think, and, and we went to our separate corners and thought, you know, which is exactly what we need to do a little more of in this country. Right. Um, and so, so I really appreciated the fact that you were willing to put solutions out there is pretty interesting. Uh, talk a little bit about Texas and what your plans are for that gubernatorial run. Yeah, so um, I've got a few plans. And so this kind of ties into what I'm trying to do as far as actually bring solutions to people. So um, I'm starting a few different political organizations. One of them is called Rent Free America. And we're going to start um, locally with Rent Free Texas. And the idea is, you know, there's there's a growing culture of people who are, they're sick of paying rent, they're struggling, they're, you know, it's it's eating up their entire paycheck. Um, they're working 40 to 60 hours a week. And by the time they pay their bills, they're they're just further in debt. Um, and this is this has given birth to a cancel rent culture, a re rent is theft culture. Um, uh, you know, we have we've we've had this um uh, this moratorium on on evictions because of COVID, um, and that was just overturned. So, um, you know, a lot of people are going to be getting evicted now. And then, of course, we have people who have worked their whole life to pay off their mortgage. They own their home, and they're still paying rent to the government. And when they don't have enough money, the government just takes everything that they that they spent their whole life saving up for. Um, and so, there are a lot of people who are really disaffected by rent. And what I want to do is build an organization that reaches these people and connects with them and shows them that you don't need to be wasting all your money on rent. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of libertarians, the first thing they say is like, Ooh, rent free America. Ooh, that's like, you're, you're trying to give people free stuff. Um, so one thing you learn in the marketing world is free is one of the most motivating sales words ever. Um, so if you can use it, it, it works great. And of course, you know, I'm sure once it gets overused, it's not going to be worth anything, but, um, but I mean, isn't the libertarian party about freedom and doesn't that have free in the word? So, um, you know, a lot of people hear this and they're like, oh, you want to, you want to like screw the landlords out of, out of, you know, their, their properties and all this other. No, what I want to do is I want to give people the financial education so that they can stop renting and start owning. I want people to see how difficult the, the government has made it um, for them to get out of the rent situation and into an ownership situation. Um, I mean, you know, you go back a few thousand years to, to when, you know, cavemen were running around and not a single one of them was like, oh, I need to get to work today because I got to pay my landlord on Friday. Um, that wasn't a thing. This is a, this is a man-made system that we're in. And yeah, our, our homes are probably nicer than the cavemen. Um, and we have air conditioning and, and TVs and everything, but, um, but the reality is like, we all have an opportunity to own property, but the government through, through property tax, through the FHA, which that, that's a, that's a long conversation right there, because a lot of people look to, even libertarians look to the FHA as a helpful program. It's really destructive. Um, uh, you know, all these things. And like, the reality is like, there's, there's a way out of this, um, you know, why, why isn't rent tax deductible? If the government wants to save us so much, why don't they let us at least deduct the money that we're spending on rent, um, the money that we're spending on to pay off our mortgage? Why isn't all of this tax deductible so that we have a little bit more money so that we can actually save up? Um, and, and you know all this stuff, seeing how, how the housing market works in Mexico, and Mexico's actually got higher um, home ownership rates than the US. They've got a quarter of the, of the homelessness 
as the United States. Um, and the and in, in the United States, 80% of American households are in debt with by an average of $150,000. And most of that is mortgage debt. A lot of it's student debt. Most of it's mortgage debt. And it's like, Mexico doesn't have any of that. And the reason for that is they have very, very low property tax. They, they don't go like, oh, you didn't pay your property tax. We're going to drag you out of your house and sell it at auction. That doesn't really happen. Um, and they don't have an FHA program, which means people can't borrow money to buy homes, which means there's not a whole bunch of money flooding the market, which means housing is more affordable um, and people aren't perpetually in debt. But there are still more people who own their homes than there are in the United States, even without that help. So you know, these are some of the things we can look at. And, you know, we look at Texas, we've had power outages. Um, you know, we've had, we've had COVID, we've had lockdowns and all this other stuff. Not that anyone should have ever been forced to, to be locked down, but you know, if, if anything really terrible does happen, like, like a pandemic or, um, a natural disaster where we can't get to work, we can't, you know, do all these things. We shouldn't be sitting there worried about like, Oh, Oh man, I can't pay my rent. That's the that's the last thing we should be thinking about. People are dying. People are starving. People like you can't get gas to put in your car. Um, be, not because you can't afford it, because it's not available. There are much bigger problems than you know. Oh, I got to pay my rent. And yet, at the end of the day, it's like yeah, but you can't just ignore that problem. So if we if if we eliminated that problem, and it's not to say like nobody would ever rent. You're still gonna have people who are like living somewhere temporarily vacation homes like all you know there's still going to be a market for that but more people are going to own because it just makes more financial sense like that's that's something they didn't really teach us in public school yeah uh, it's really interesting so it's more of an education program to show that government policies are are essentially designed to keep people indebted to the government is that essentially what you're talking about? Um, it, it's a little bit educational. There are actual policy plans. So, you know, we talk about, you know, we, we want all of these payments to be tax deductible. We want to eliminate the tax. We want, we want to, at first, um, you know, offer, offer landlords to be the first in line to eliminate their property tax as long as they pass that along to their renters. Um, right. And if you're living, oh, yeah. if you're living in the home that you own, you should not be paying property tax. On, so, you know, basically you are your own renter. You shouldn't be paying the property tax there either. Um, and, and they have a homestead exemption in, in Texas, but it's, it's really more of a discount. It's not, you know, eliminating the tax and it's not a huge discount either. So, um, you know, the, but there's, there's all these policies um, that we could have in place. And what's, what I find really interesting about this is, you know, the, the libertarians aren't going to win with libertarians alone, right? We're, we're a small percentage of the population. But when I pitch this idea to the left and to the right, when I pitch it to Democrats and Republicans, they love the idea. Like this is, this is like when everyone's always talking about bipartisanship and, you know, the left and the right coming together, it's like, these are the types of plans that they should be having because it benefits both sides. But for some reason they can never actually come up with these plans. Um, so you know, but, but, you know, to, and, and, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to really pander to their politicians or anything, but, um, you know, to realize that the politicians, that's another uh, distinction I like to make, right? You have the politicians and you have the voters, the politicians usually lead the voters, the politicians come up with these bad policies and convince the voters that they're good. Um, 
And in doing so, basically you have this um, elitist group who's weaponizing the masses of the people against everybody else who just wants to be left alone. That's us. And if we can go to those people who have been weaponized and take that energy that they have, because they're really fired up, and we take that energy and we divert that energy and say, hey, you know, that energy, if you put that into this program here, would benefit you so much more. They're actually going to see it and say, you're right. And then, you know, when they start putting that energy behind a libertarian-led idea, then we start getting into an actual place where we can see libertarian change. I think it's a, a really cool idea the way you framed it that last time, which was the actual policy proposal, right? So like I live in a, in a uh, decent sized house, I've got a very big family and I pay $15,000 in mortgage interest a year approximately, right? And I get to write wow. that off. But the average family of that size in Oklahoma that's renting, you know, a house or whatever, they're paying more than 15,000 in rent and they don't get to write any of that off. So basically the wealthier, you know, I'm not wealthy, but the wealthier guy gets to write off all of his interest and the renter gets to write off none of their, you know, quote unquote interest because none of that's going to principal. I think it's really right. interesting. Uh, it's just an interesting way to put it, to show that that policy, the way that they've designed the policy um, basically keeps you, keeps you down. So, yeah, very right. interesting. And, and when they're renting, I mean, they're, they're basically, you know, they say, you know, oh, we're just paying our landlord's mortgage. Yeah, you're also paying their property tax, yeah. um, you know, all, all these other things. And, and so, yeah, I mean, so let's get rid of the proper, property tax and make them pass that savings down. Um, and, you know, and yeah, stop paying their mortgage. I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out the best way that we can motivate people to start moving to a culture of rent to own. Um, cause I know a lot of people have heard of it. Um, I remember I was, when I first heard of it, I was looking for an opportunity like that. And there just aren't that many out there. Um, because nobody's demanding it, but imagine if you're, if you're a landlord and, um, you know, you've, you've got 20 people coming to rent your, your house and every single one of them says, yeah, you're not doing rent to own. I'm not interested. Yeah. And you can't rent your house because everyone's looking for rent to own. If everyone started demanding that we would see that change. Yeah. But no, nobody knows too much about that. So I think that's, you know, that's another thing where it is, it does require a little bit of education and culture shift, but that's, I mean, that's financial education. That's, that should have been taught to us in public school. If they really cared uh, about our education, that should have been taught to us when they were teaching us basic math or, or, you know, yeah. family budgeting. Well, and people don't get it either. When you said, you know, you're just paying your landlord's mortgage. I actually went out and tried to find out how much my house would rent for and it was about 35,000 a year. So it's 15,000 in interest that I'm paying. I could get 35,000 in rent, which does just about basically pay for my mortgage, but they don't understand that 20,000 of that's going into the landlord's pocket in the form of principal, right? So it's not like they're just paying the, paying the interest, you know what I mean? You're, you're paying the landlord a significant amount of money, which is fine in today's system, right. um, but but they need to understand what that looks like. You know what I mean? If they were paying $35,000 to a mortgage, 20 of it would be coming back to them in principle instead of all of it going towards the trash can. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we need, we need to like, we need to learn how to build our lives on a solid foundation. Yeah. Interesting. Kevin, what do you get? 
Well, I think the education part of it is is a is a huge huge thing. One of the things that you're doing that I really want to bring up is your um, I forget what you call it, free healthcare. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Will you talk about that? Yeah. So again, again with the again with the free stuff. <laughs> um, hey, I'm a commie. I love the free stuff. Uh, so yeah, so, um, free healthcare is, I came up with this when I was doing the the presidential campaign in 2020. Um, and you know, really the idea is it's free as in freedom. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, everything's going to be free. You walk into a hospital and you don't have to pay. Um, no, the, the, the way that this, like the way to look at this is like, we think like a lot of people, I hear a lot of people who push for like, um, you know, socialized healthcare, Medicare for all these sorts of things. They say the free market has failed and they think that we have free market healthcare, but the reality is there, there is no freedom in this market. If there is somebody with the knowledge to treat me, I can't just go to them and say, Hey, can you treat me? And, and whatever disease I have, um, I don't have that freedom. That person must first be certified by the government, which comes with all kinds of restrictions that person may be an expert. That person may be the top scientist from another country who has come to the United States to start a new life for himself um, because maybe his old, his old country fell to communism. He came to the United States and he wants to work as a doctor being the top whatever, neurosurgeon, heart surgeon from, from some other country. And he's not allowed to treat anybody because the government says so. And the government has a hard cap on the number of people who are able to become doctors every year. So it doesn't matter if you have more qualified people, they're not allowed to do it. And so there's no freedom. Um, and we were talking earlier about the insulin, right? So it's not just with doctors, it's with medication. Um, so there's a company uh, called Lantus. There's, there's a bunch of companies, but uh, Lantus is one of them. There's three companies that are allowed to sell insulin in the U.S., even those 47 of them that make them that make it worldwide. Um, this company, Lantus, has these pens, and these pens are basically like it's I think it's three milliliters of insulin, and these pens sell. We're sandwiched right in the middle. In Mexico and Canada, they sell for twelve dollars. In the United States, they sell for a hundred dollars. So if you literally, if you live by either of the borders, you can literally walk across the border buy your insulin and get an 88% discount. Now, how long does this last? Well, $100, it depends on how, how you are um, with, with your diabetes and, and everything else. Um, this is something that affects like 35 million Americans. So like 10% of the population, it's a lot of people. Um, and uh, you could, some people spend $100 a month uh, and they just need one pen. Other people, they need they need vials of a, of a more concentrated form from another company. They need all these other things that some people are paying like a thousand to 1200 bucks a month or a thousand to 2000 bucks a month. Um, per year, that's 12,000 to 24,000. Even if it's just one pen, that's $1,200 a year. It's a lot of money. If you have insurance, they will cover it. But we had a power outage in Texas that a lot of people lost their insulin because the, the refrigerators went out. Um, their insurance doesn't cover damaged insulin. So if your insulin goes bad, they're not going to replace it. You have to wait till the end of your six month period to, before they'll cover you again. Um, all of this. And like, you consider if it's 88% less, if you're spending $1,200 a year, you could be spending like 
a hundred bucks a year. Like that's how big this difference is. Like that's an extra thousand bucks in your pocket. Like imagine, and, and we're talking about people struggling to pay rent. What could you do with a thousand bucks? Um, and this is not money that's like going to anything. Now it's, it gets worse because in, in, uh, uh, Canada, I don't think you need a prescription. Mexico, you definitely don't need a, need a prescription because I've gone and purchased it there. Um, in the US, you have to go see a doctor first. So that's another couple hundred bucks. And you got to go see a doctor, you get a prescription probably once or twice a year. That's two visits, three visits, whatever it takes. Um, and so what I did was I said, okay, you know what? Screw this. I want to bring some attention to this, um, to this issue. And so I decided I'm going to start smuggling insulin. So I, I spent a lot of time here in Mexico. I started buying up insulin. Um, you go into any pharmacy and you say, yeah, I need some Lantus pens. Um, they come in a pack of five. And I just started buying them. And whenever I, whenever I go back to Texas and hold a rally, or um, I went to Iowa and I gave some out in Iowa, um, I, I just bring it back and give it to people at cost who who are you know stuck with the bill they don't have insurance and they just can't afford this stuff and insulin is not the only medication that this happens with this happens with every other medication and people you know going back to like they think we have a free market we don't our market is completely controlled by the government at the will of the pharmaceutical companies the pharmaceutical companies know they can buy congress Tell them, hey, we'll fund your campaign. We'll keep you elected. We'll keep you in power as long as you pass our bill. And then they come up with a medical bill that's 50,000 pages that nobody ever reads. And then they pass it and it protects their monopoly. It allows them to sell these drugs at, you know, five, 10, 20 times, you know, what they could before. Um, and it, it's, it, it just protects those high prices. And some people like to look the other way. Even when I bring this issue up with diabetics, they're like, oh yeah, but I have insurance. So it's, it's covered. I'm not worried about it. Your premiums are not cheap. Your premiums are very high. And that premium is high because those insurance companies have to pay the pharmaceutical companies. When Bernie Sanders comes along and says, oh, we're going to get, we're going to get Medicare for all, or, you know, anybody comes along and says, oh, we're going to get universal healthcare. These are all plans that are created just like those, you know, 50,000 page um, bills created by the pharmaceutical companies. That's who are creating these, these socialized healthcare plans. And when they put these into effect, the solution is not going to be to lower the prices. It's going to be to steal from somebody to make sure the high prices can be paid and potentially for even more people, which is great because the end result is that more people are going to get their medication, but also those big pharmaceutical, those big evil nasty corporations are going to be getting even bigger profits. And with an actual free healthcare, free market solution, what you'll see is more people will get their healthcare, but you won't have to steal from anybody, which means prices will go way down. And those big evil corporations will not be profiting off of us. And that's the most important thing. And what we're also going to see is, you know, we see this already, um, pharmaceutical and medical research when, when, you're, when you're an investor and you've got a billion dollars and you say, okay, there's five projects on the table. This one's going to cure cancer. This one's going to cure AIDS. This one is going to be a uh, 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 treatment that people are going to need to take every month for the rest of their lives for you know some other disease. 
I've got a billion dollars. What am I going to invest it in? They're going to invest it in the one that has a bigger return on investment. They're going to skip the cures and they're going to go for the one that that's the lifelong treatment. And that's why we have what we have today. We have treatments. We don't have cures. We haven't had cures in a very long time. Now, the, the, the problem is a lot of those cures that people have been figuring out are actually things that could be brought to market if it weren't for the government requiring all of this extra work to get it researched and approved in the right way. Because it, it really isn't expensive. If you look at our early medication and how things were created, it really wasn't that expensive. Um, you know, you had people like doing this in their, in their spare time, because that's what they enjoyed doing researching early doctors were considered heretics because they're like, Oh, why do, why do you want to cut open dead people and, and learn how their bodies work? That's, that's heresy. Um, like that's where, that's where we came from with this. And like, we have to realize that like, no, there are a lot of good people with, with the common interest of curing the world's diseases, but they're, you know, going back to freedom, they don't have that freedom to do that research without government approval, which is extremely expensive. Yeah. Yeah, no, and this is um, not to get into a one-hour uh, debate on, on healthcare IP, because you and I have already had that debate, but <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of my things in my background is I ran a very small uh, healthcare mutual fund, and that's where you and I had that discussion about um, the right. IP, but but it's really interesting because you're right. There are very few companies um, that are going after cures, and the ones that do are the ones that actually get vilified in the press because their cure costs eight hundred thousand um, dollars. Because because it was it did cost five billion, you know, to put put together, and they're only going to cure X number of people. So so then all of a sudden it's eight hundred thousand, and everybody vilifies that company now now we can talk about whether they should but everyone vilifies that company and not the company that's charging the two thousand dollars a year times 10 million people you know instead of the 200 right. people that are going to use this this rare disease cure um and then some interesting things also that i've run into recently here in oklahoma is we've had some issues where our largest insurer and our largest hospital are having a big fight um, so they're not going to work together anymore. Okay, so the largest insurer and the largest hospital are no longer going to work together. So now everyone's got to kind of pick sides. Like, are wow. the employers going to go away from the insurer or or is everyone going to stay with the insurer and then not ever go to this big hospital again? And it's turned into this big deal. And I had a really interesting conversation with a doctor who was out there, of course, going single payer, single payer, this and that you know, would have solved everything. This big, bad insurance company is the problem. And I was like, the insurance company and the hospital aren't agreeing on the contract, right? So um, so what, why are you not blaming the hospital? And we had a little bit of back and forth and then I go, but if it was single payer, wouldn't the government just force the hospital to say yes? <laughs> it's like, that's <laughs> like the, there would be no negotiation. The government would just tell the hospital you have right. to do it. And, and to your point, what would end up happening is the pharmaceuticals would be uh, protected, but the hospital wouldn't. So the doctors, the nurses, you know, the equipment in the hospital is what would suffer. And more importantly, what I was telling this lady, because she was worried about her 
her cystic fibrosis son uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get treated locally, you know what I mean? Because that's the only doctor. Uh, and so if they, if they can't use this hospital, they, she'd have to go further out. And I said, yeah, but if it becomes unprofitable, then they're going to just shut down the cystic fibrosis wing, right? So if you go to single payer and they shut down the cystic fibrosis wing, you're going to be driving to Dallas anyway. It uh, doesn't matter who's not paying Tulsa. Uh, nobody's paying Tulsa. So, so you're going to drive to Dallas. Right. You know what I mean? And so to your point, you know, if there's anybody out here who knows how to do it um, and the government's not letting them do it or they're getting in the way and making things more expensive or less profitable, um, you just start, you, your choices are dwindled. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. So, yeah, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So speaking it's, of uh, cures and pharmaceuticals and all of that, you have a CBD company, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Nug of Knowledge. Um, so nugofknowledge.com, it's basically um, the idea is, uh, first of all, we're, we're, it's more than just a, a cannabis company. It's, um, and, and we use the term cannabis. A lot of people like to say, oh, but it's, it's not, there's no THC or it's very low THC, which makes it legal in all 50 states. But um, technically the plant is cannabis. Like that's like the name of the plant, even if it well, doesn't CBD is the cannabinoid, right? Yeah. Well, this, the CBD is the chemical that is a ca cannabinoid, but like, you know, when you look at like the, the Latin names of the plants, um, and like that sort of thing, they're all cannabis. Um, so, um, you know, what, what we're really kind of, so, so first of all, it's an ethical company. So we're, we're, um, you know, we're, we joke around, we, we, it's a, it, there's a, there's a network marketing aspect to it. Cause we want the community to make some money off of it, um, as we grow, but those people are also going to become activists for, um, legalization across the country. Um, and you know, even in places where it's already legal, we say, you know, smoking weed is a human right. And so rights, as the Supreme court says, rights cannot be taxed, rights cannot be converted into privileges and charged a fee to exercise. Um, you know, this is, this is a right and it shouldn't be taxed. We shouldn't have to argue that, oh, you're going to make so much tax money off of it. If you legalize it, um, we shouldn't even have to argue how many health benefits there are. And there are millions of them. We shouldn't have to argue that in order to legalize it, because at the end of the day, even if the only thing it did was get you high, that's a human right. Um, I mean, we do it with alcohol, right? There's not a whole lot of medical benefit to that. And, and. <laughs> We, we drink a little alcohol every once in a while, right? Hopefully we don't abuse it. Um, that, that's, that's never really the goal. Um, but so, you know, so, so we're giving back with the community. We're building um, a network of activism. Um, we're also giving back to the community. So we have a program called Nugs and Hugs, and we, we give um, free cannabis to uh, veterans and, and disabled people across the country um, who can't otherwise afford it. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really trying to do the right thing with this, but we're also, you know, at the same time, we're, we're raising money through, you know, free market capitalism, what libertarians like so much. Um, and we're using that and reinvesting it in um, actually campaigning for uh, some more freedom as it relates to cannabis. And, and you know, um, yeah, that's, that's really what it's about. I think it's such an interesting topic and the way you came at it is, is fascinating. So, <laughs> I mean, 48 states, I believe, 
I might be wrong, you probably know better than me, 48 states uh, have approved medical marijuana in some form or fashion. Okay, so 48 states have decided that marijuana is good for you. Um, and only 17 states have decided that you can do it if you want to. <laughs> okay, right. now 50 states have decided that you can drink if you want to, and zero states have decided that drinking is good for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there right. is no medical alcohol, you know, and, and it's just always interesting to me that, that we have had to prove that there are medical benefits to marijuana prior to being able to consume it for non-medical reasons. It's just, and I like the way that you went at it there because I don't think we articulate that well enough when people are talking about medical marijuana. It's always kind of like, well, we have to do this before we do that. And the, and the reality is no, you know, it should be legal way before um, we have to prove that it's good for you. I mean, 98% right. of the stuff you eat today is not good for you you know, but it's legal. <laughs> so, right, right. And, and we don't, we don't think, you know, McDonald's shouldn't have to market their cheeseburger as a cure for cancer prior to you being able to enjoy it <laughs> for lunch. You know, it's just, it's a ridiculous concept. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. We should, we should, we should uh, offer up a, a medicinal cheeseburger bill. There you go. I like it. I mean, that, that would get the point across, right? I mean, it's like, right. oh, we, we just assume that it can cure cancer because that's what you're making us do with cannabis prior to us being allowed to do it. You know what I mean? Uh, so, right. so talk a little bit about some of the goals for the company and what are you guys doing next? Yeah. So, so, I mean, um, we're, um, so, so kind of the political activism side of that is called End the Drug War Now. Um, and we just got our website up, endthedrugwarnow.org. And basically what we're doing is we're recruiting um, activists um, who are basically ambassadors for what we're trying to do. And, you know, we're, we're building this organization so that we can have ambassadors in every city across the country. Uh, who will basically help us to recruit volunteers, do some door knocking, get out and talk to people, um, set up tables at events, um, organize some rallies. And, um, you know, this, this is, this is really where I see, you know, going back to, to, you know, effective marketing of libertarianism, you know, one thing that libertarians like to do is they like to say, oh yeah, you know, we want to legalize weed. So they get a bunch of people who are on board with that. And then they bring them to a libertarian convention they bore them to death with rules meetings. And then they tell them, and by the way, we're, we're, you know, guns, this and, and pro-choice this. And like, you know, we start shoving everything down their throats and it's like, and they're like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for all this. This all sounds crazy. Um, you know, they were just there for, for the legal cannabis. And so, you know, my approach is more to say, okay, look, you're here for the legal cannabis. Let's stick with the legal cannabis. Um, and, you know, let's stick with what you know. But we're going to put a little bit of a spin on it because most legalized cannabis organizations out there are, you know, they're sticking to the, the healthcare issues, right? Like it's, it's medicine and all this, um, or there's taxes and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, we're, we're just taking that libertarian spin to it. Like it doesn't matter about any of that stuff. It's a human right. And as people, you know, we hope as people learn from this, first of all, they're going to stick around because we're not chasing them off with, with stuff they don't care about or they don't want to hear about or even oppose 
Um, but we are able to teach them a little bit of that self-responsibility, self-ownership, you know, the, the very core principles that are part of the libertarian philosophy. And, um, and in doing so, we're actually able to get people to care about these issues. And then once they start to adopt these core beliefs into their own um, ideology, then they might look at the world in a different lens and say, oh, yeah, I never really thought about it. But now that I think about it, um, you know, I feel this way about another issue. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really important. We need to make sure we're not chasing people off. It's a great, great point. And I think that uh, some areas of libertarianism are getting better at this than others, where, where we realize that everybody has a starter issue or two that got us involved in the, in the movement. Like Kevin like, and I like to say, when we have a lot of these discussions with newer libertarians, and we talk about their libertarian journey, very few of us were born a libertarian, right? Most of us right. had one or two of those moments. Some of us had that big bang where everything just popped and it was like, oh my God, everything sucks and I'm changing my whole you know, <laughs> view on life. But most of us, it was like, wow, okay. I don't really believe my gay marriage, my anti-gay marriage you know, stance anymore. So I'm gonna change that. And while I'm at it, I'm gonna look at my neocon war stance, you know what I mean? And slowly, you know, I came along to kind of the drug war. Why are we really doing this? And it was like a one by one, you know, and, and it had somebody, I always say this, had somebody come to me in 2010 as I started down kind of the libertarian Republican path and thrown the libertarian platform at me, I would have ran. I would have right. ran like hell. You know what I mean? I was okay. <laughs> I was okay kind of watching Justin Amash and, and, you know, agreeing with about 60% of what he was saying and, and kind of reevaluating some of my issues slowly over a six year period of time. Um, but that's how long it took me is six years. You know what I mean? And, and that's because I was pretty firm in my beliefs on different things. And, um, and I think we have to recognize that. And to your point, like the very first thing that we should be doing with these folks is definitely not having them sit down and, and arguing over a certain word in the bylaws that takes 45 minutes, you know, <laughs> Kevin, we can argue over weapon versus, I can't even remember what, <laughs> what oh word my we goodness. were arguing. Or the inclusion, the <laughs> definition <laughs> of the word the. Yeah. <laughs> you went there. The Somebody word. finally went there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, oh man, that was a real. And then, and then there was weapon versus, I can't remember the, the word that we were trying to, but anyway, it was. <laughs> but but it's just ridiculous you know and and it's fine that kind of stuff has to happen we have to go through some of those growing pains right. in in state parks but but it doesn't need to be people's first intro to the party and i like the way you're talking about it i mean foster one good strong libertarian belief and then introduce another along the same lines you can go from very swiftly go from legalizing marijuana to the drug war and the and the you know, um, the negative connotations and things that have happened because of the drug war, slide that into criminal justice reform. You know what I mean? Slide that into anti-death penalty. Like you can start hitting all these issues on a very nice slow slide that makes a lot of logical sense to people. Um, and I really like that approach. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting too. I so on my podcast I had um, I had a woman who's running for um, uh, as a Democrat for city council in um, 
I can't think of the, the city in, in Florida. Um, and, you know, she was a Democrat. She was, she was not super anti-gun. She was like, you know, common sense gun law kind of thing. She's, she's got a, you know, concealed carry, um, you know, so, so she's, she's not like super far left. Um, but it was really great that like, you know, we sat down and we had a conversation. It didn't start out with like, oh, you're, you're a nasty Democrat. And I, I don't believe in anything you stand for and your platform is disgusting. And, you know, like, it wasn't like that at all. We, we just kind of like, you know, we, we brought up a lot of, we went through like a lot of different subjects. And what was interesting is like, when we got to, um, when we got to the police reform, like, I actually, like, I threw out a bunch of ideas at her and, and half of them, she was like, eh, she's like, nah, I don't really like that. And then the other half, she was like, oh, that's, that's good. Can I take that? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, of course, why not? Um, and it's like, you know, we don't have to turn everything into a fight. Because when you turn everything into a fight, then it's like, even when you say something right, you know, it, it, nobody's going to want to hear it because you've decided your enemies, right? Um, and it's like, I, I've, I've kind of developed this thing that I like to say on my podcast, which is, you know, we should go into every single conversation with an open mind that everything that we know could possibly be wrong because it's ab absolutely possible. I mean, we could have, you know, if you think about where did you, where did you get your beliefs from? Where did you learn the things that you know? And it's like a lot of it, we were just told by some authority figure when we were too young to remember and we never really thought about it and came to, we just, we just kind of like almost always had like some conclusion there. And, you know, it's, it's like when you stop and think about it, it's like, and you know, if you're right, it doesn't hurt to stop and think about it. Right. Cause what you're going to end up back in the same place. Okay. Big deal. You wasted a couple of minutes. Um, but if you find out you were wrong about something, wouldn't you like to know if you're wrong? I mean, like that's, that's one thing a lot of people like, I mean, I even used to do this, right? Like if I'm wrong, I don't want to know. Cause like, I'll feel embarrassed or something that, that I was wrong, but it's like, no, you want to know if you're wrong, because if you don't know if you're wrong, you will continue to embarrass yourself. And eventually you will figure out you're right. And then realize you've been embarrassing yourself for like, you know, a hundred years longer than you should have been. Um, it, you know, so it, it really, but like, that's a culture shift. Like we need to like, we need to start having more open discussions like that. Yeah. I think that that's a huge, I, I think that that's a huge thing. That's part of the, you know, the whole unity movement that we're seeing a lot of um, here recently. And that idea that, you know, we may not all be the smartest people in the room, which is pretty radical for some, uh, some within our group. Um but back to the uh, the nug of knowledge thing, just uh, want to go ahead and plug it a little bit here. We are, I think we're pending approval right now for the affiliate program through you guys. Big shout out to David Fight on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm like logging in right now to, to, to make sure <laughs> you guys are approved. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm always multitasking. No, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it really is awesome. Like, um, you know, and, and we want to get as many people as we can involved with this. Um, you know, we want, we want you guys to make money too. Um, you know, if, if you have a podcast or something like we want you to make money with us because, you know, you guys are, are helping to spread, you know, really good ideas, starting conversations, um, getting people to think. And that stuff is, it's, it's really so important. Like, you know, we're, we're, 
we, we always kind of have this like discussion about how competition is good. Um, and how like, that's, that's what drives the markets and like all this other stuff. And like, yeah, to a certain degree, but at the same time, cooperation is extremely powerful too. Um, yeah. so, you know, we can, we can always work together. Um, and you know, what is the economy, but just a bunch of random crazy people tossing meaningless pieces of paper around, um, basically, you know, but if you can, yeah, but if you can take that and direct it at something positive, um, then it's like, Hey, that's, that's an extra win. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Well, we are coming up on our end time here. Do you want to go plug all of your stuff? Ooh. Um, <laughs> it's a long list. Um, let me just say, go to, uh, go to danforfreedom.com. Um, that's my, that's kind of like my, my hub. Um, I've got a ton of projects I'm working on it and I try to connect them all through there. Uh, but you can find all my social media accounts. I'm on Facebook, um, Dan, you can look up Dan taxation is that Berman. I'm on Twitter at Dan for Texas. I'm on Instagram, Dan Berman. Um, and, uh, a few other places too. uh, YouTube taxation is theft. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's so many things. I, I actually have a social media network thing too. Actually, it's not a social media network. It's just a social network. There's no media. There's no messaging. Um, uh, it's called zinc. And like, it's really, it's just so like, oh, if you get banned off of one platform, you go back to zinc and see where all your friends are. Oh, they're at this new platform now. And then you can go over there and zinc up and like, um, oh, I like that. You know, yeah. Cause like, you know, oh, we're moving to a new platform and it's like, I got to go find all my friends again. Um, or, you know, one person just posts the wrong thing and they get their account zucked and, and, you know, but then they pop up a new one, but nobody knows where it is. So, you know, you have your, you have your hub that just keeps everything in sync. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's another project that I'm, I'm connecting through that, through that hub at, at, uh, danforfreedom.com. So yeah, anything you need to know, it's over there. Um, and I'm, I'm easy to reach too. So if you like any of these projects, you want to get involved, definitely just, just reach out, send me a message, um, and, and we'll make it happen. Sweet, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming on Dan taxation is theft Berman governor 2022. We yes, love sir. it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks again. Thanks Dan. for having me. It was awesome.